You know, with absolutely no hostility toward transgender people, I've always maintained that just in point of fact, a man cannot become a woman. Over the weekends, CNN's Brian Stelter proved me wrong. Stelter wrote that he missed the deadline for his newsletter because, quote, I crawled in bed and cried for our pre-pandemic lives. I think those tears had been waiting a month to escape. I wanted to share this with you because it feels freeing to do so, unquote. That's a real quote. Now, I don't mean to insult women by comparing them to Brian Stelter, but it's fair to say that women generally experience life more emotionally than men do. Somehow this works when they do it. It contributes to their womanly wisdom and compassion. And also they just look terrific. And a lot of them will make you dinner so you don't have to send out or starve to death, which would be the only other options. But when Stelter misses a deadline in order to crawl into bed for a good cry, I can't help thinking about other men who dealt with crises in the past. For instance, William Travis, one of about 250 Texans who died at the Alamo battling 2,000 Mexican soldiers. Travis wrote a letter addressed to all Americans which said, quote, I was determined to die like a soldier who never forgets what is due to his own honor and that of his country. But instead, I crawled into bed and cried for our pre-Alamo lives, and I wanted to share this with you, unquote. There was also General Patton who addressed the troops preparing to take Europe back from the Nazi war machine, saying, quote, no dumb bastard ever won a war by dying for his country. He won it by crawling into bed and crying for our pre-World War II lives and then sharing that, unquote. I'm not saying that Stelter's behavior made him unworthy to call himself a journalist or an American or a man. I'm just thinking it silently. If you listen, you can almost hear me. Trigger warning. I'm Andrew Claven, and this is The Andrew Claven Show. I feel hunky-dunky. Life is tickety-boo. Birds are winging, also singing hunky-dunky-dee-doo. Ship-shaped, tipsy-topsy. The world is a bitty zing. It's a wonderful day. Hooray, hooray. It makes me want to sing. Oh, hurrah, hooray. You know, I have never, I have not seen this level of elite disdain for ordinary people since the French Revolution when I was wearing one of those big funny wigs we used to wear back then. Really, what I'm seeing now on the left makes Marie Antoinette look like that super hot Princess Sophia over in Sweden who's put aside her tiara to do hospital cleaning and kitchen shifts. People with jobs, people with money, people with power are sneering at and laughing at and ignoring people who are fighting to reopen the economy so they can live and feed their children. Nancy Pelosi shows off her expensive refrigerator packed with overpriced ice cream and then refuses to come back to work to vote for more support for small businesses. Cable television talking heads are calling people Nazis because they're protesting the lockdown so they can support their families. Democrats like Chicago Mayor Lori Lightfoot and New York Mayor Bill de Blasio are violating their own lockdown orders to get their hair quaffed and to take long walks in the park because they consider themselves more important and privileged than the serfs over whom they rule. I'm not saying we should rule out the guillotine, but a little tar and feathers could go a long way in a situation like this. Because these people do not give a fat flying crap for the freedom or welfare of those people they consider deplorable. They are trying to sell us mission creep. That's like mission creep is that military phrase for what's happened in Afghanistan where we go in to punish the Taliban and we end up staying 20 years to reinvent the nation. 
We were told to lock down to keep our hospitals from getting overwhelmed. Fair enough. But we were not told to hide out until every chance of catching the flu was gone. We've passed the peak. The hospitals are clearer in most places. I'm not saying we should all rush back to work. I'm not saying that at all. But it's time to start opening the joint up in phases, like Donald Trump says, so that finally, after everyone else has got the economy working, I can come out of hiding and we can all congratulate ourselves on having saved the Claven. We're not a nation of Brian Stelters. We can't all hide under the bedsheets sobbing like a girl until every chance we could get ill is gone. I'm not actually accusing anyone of overreacting to the flu. I think that's a lot of garbage. I'm not belittling the severity of the disease or the possibility that it could come back and hospitals could get overwhelmed again. And I'm not underestimating the danger to vulnerable and compromised people like my own dear precious self who needs to be protected at all costs. But... But if we've accomplished what we set out to accomplish, it's time to start the process of getting moving again step by step. We know the media is dishonest and two-faced because of the way they've handled the Joe Biden sex story. So we have proof of that. And we know the Democrats are willing to let the country go to hell to get the government expansion they want because they've told us they are repeatedly. And we know Hollywood celebrities are idiots because... Just look at them. Those are the people telling us to shelter in place for the next year and a half so they can tank the economy and win in November. We did what we were asked to do. It's time to reopen again, slowly, step by step, like President Trump is talking about. But still. And by the way, if Princess Sophia is a woman and she sure looks like one, what is Brian Stelter anyway? All right. (laughs) I'll never stop talking about Brian Stelter missing a deadline because he had to have a good cry. I'm I'm sorry, but I don't care what you call it, but that is really something else. All right, Bespoke Post, we all are having a wonderful time receiving stuff in the mail. It is like now Christmas morning when the Amazon guy, guy, the UPS guy uh, shows up. Bespoke Post is a way to receive really, really great stuff. Uh, You won't just get, you know, political flyers and bills. With Bespoke Post, you will get a box of awesome. I got one that had a wonderful new dop kit, and it's just beautiful. I use it all the time. Bespoke Post sends guys only the best stuff every month, so nothing here for Brian Stelter. But no matter what you're into, Box of Awesome has you covered. From style and grooming goods to barware, cooking tools, and outdoor gear, Box of Awesome has carefully built collections for every part of your life. To get started, take the quiz at boxofawesome.com. I love these quizzes, by the way. Your answers will help them pick the right Box of Awesome for you. It's free to sign up. You can skip a month, cancel any time. Each box costs 45 bucks, but you get over $70 worth of gear inside. Get 20% off your first monthly box when you sign up at boxofawesome.com and enter the code CLAVEN at checkout. That's boxofawesome.com, code CLAVEN, for 20% off your first box. So you do have to know, everybody who is awesome has to know how to spell CLAVEN. Speaking of Claven, if you want to save the Claven, please give us a like or a comment, uh, and that will help save the Claven. Very important uh, thing to do. So we should start opening again. The first business I want to open is Donald Trump's House of Wings. Join me at Donald Trump's House of Wings. Trump, you know our wings will make you happy.
Am I saying I'm a chicken wing expert? No. But I can tell you this. The wing is hands down the best part of the chicken. Better than the head, better than the torso, better than the back. And at Donald Trump's House of Wings, you can get them with five different levels of hotness. Regular, hot, three-alarm, suicidal, and hell spawn. And if you like celery, congratulations. It's on the house. <laughs> that is an old Saturday Night Live routine from when Trump was licensing his names to everybody. But I played it for a serious reason. The thing is, if you watch him, he is deadpan through that whole thing. You can tell he wants to laugh. You can tell he's cracking up. The people are dancing around in chicken outfits. You want, he wants to laugh, but he absolutely doesn't. And that tells you everything about what Donald Trump has been doing during these press briefings, specifically when he said, I have absolute authority to open everything up. And and the governors all reacted, what, this is unconstitutional, we have power, we'll sue, we have power. And so he said, okay, we're opening up, it's up to the governors. What? It's up, what do you, what do you mean? It was one of the great deeks in human history. It was absolutely terrific. I'm going to be talking about this today. Trump has preserved federalism during a crisis. He has done what I said he should do at the very beginning, which is that he has let this crisis go to waste. And we're going to take a closer look at that process. There was a, a terrific uh, article by Christopher DeMuth of the uh, Hudson Institute in the Wall Street Journal over the weekend pointing out that normally during these crises, the federal government expands, right? That uh, during 9-11, uh, the Bush administration and Congress created these two gigantic agencies with extraordinary powers, uh, the Homeland Security and the officer of the director of national intelligence. Uh, they started, they got all these new powers to surveil us and pay attention to us and all this stuff. And everybody just said, fine, even on the right, they were just, yeah, I'm not doing it. I'm innocent, so I don't care if they listen to my phone calls. I heard a lot of right wingers say that, by the way. Then there was the 2008 crisis, right, where uh, Chris Dodd and Barney Frank, two of the guys responsible for the crash, two, Barney Frank was as responsible for the crash as anyone in America, and they, re and they wrote the new laws that created this incredible, uh, you know, world of bureaucracy in which the government came into boardrooms and started looking over the shoulders of businessmen. And by the way, businessmen love, big business loves this stuff because it makes small business almost impossible. So big business, it just eliminates, uh, you know, competition. They complain about it, but in fact, it's great for them because the more compliance, the more power they have. This is the only time, this is the only time so far when the federal government has preserved the federalist system has kept the power in the hands of the governors and in the, the hands of the states. And so what you're seeing now when you're seeing protests is you're not seeing protests against the federal government. You're seeing protests against the states and mostly against the Democrat states, although not only, but, but mostly against states where they have gone too far. Trump has come up with now a three-phase plan. It's very, very cautious. It says, you know, once there's been 14 days when the virus hasn't expanded, you can start to come out a little bit. Each phase, you know, you can look it up on the, there's a, on the White House website. Each phase has a little bit more that we can do. Always making sure, I think in each phase, it says save the Claven. There's a, always a save the Claven thing. In, in all, I'm joking, but in all seriousness, you want people who are older, you want people who are compromised to stay home. You want to be able to uh, look and see if there are new flares. Because one of the things about this so far is it's hard to tell whether this is the kind of thing that will just spread like wildfire throughout the country or it's something that seems to flare up in certain areas that have certain traits that we're not sure about yet. One of them seems to be uh, mass transit. But still, 
So he has essentially done something that conservatives should be cheering. And instead, you still have these uh, never Trump guys talking about the fact that he's mean and he's gross and he's boring and he wears makeup and all. You know, I mean, just insane stuff instead of saying he has put the Democrats in the position of defending federalism. He has put the press in the position of calling for him to become a tyrant while he tells them about the Constitution. That is an amazing, amazing uh, feat on his side. And it should tell us something about him, first of all, that, that not only is he, has he got a good sense of humor and he's been deadpanning the press and just making them, letting them make fools out of themselves, but also that he is committed to the country working the way the country is supposed to work, which conservatives should be cheering for. And instead, conservatives, are, I think, are being a little bit irresponsible. Obviously, this is an unknown. We don't know what we don't know. We don't know what the situation is. It is not a war. You know, all comparisons to war, except war, this is what war is like that war. All other comparisons to war are baloney. When they tell you it's a war on poverty, it's not a war. You know, when they tell you it's a war on cancer, not a war. The difference between human evil and natural disasters like this one is that human evil is a cancer. Human evil, if you do not cut it out, it spreads. Whereas natural disasters are more like heart attacks. They're individual incidents that can be dealt with. There are not going to be more tornadoes because we didn't stop the last tornado, right? Tornadoes occur at a certain uh, number every year, sometimes more, sometimes less, but that's a natural phenomenon. This Leaving out, leaving out the malfeasance in China, but this as a disease is a disease. We can't sit around and say, you know, we're going to go out there and we're going to die and that's going to stop. It's not going to stop the disease. You know, we want to take precautions. We want to be cautious. All of this Donald Trump has done. And by the way, he seems to have done it well. You know, even uh, Cuomo in New York, who is no friend of his, has been has been complimentary. Uh, you can play that cut if you got it. What the federal government did working with states, as I just said, was a phenomenal accomplishment. Uh, we bent the curve. We flattened the curve. Government did it. People did it. But government facilitates people's actions, right? Uh, we had to double the hospital capacity in New York State. Uh, that's what all the experts said. Uh, president brought in the Army Corps of Engineers. They built... Uh, 2,500 beds at Javits that uh, Michael and Northwell were operating it was a phenomenal accomplishment. So, you know, he's talking about the fact that the federal government has done what it's supposed to do to help the states. That's what they're supposed to do. They're supposed to help the states govern. So now there are protests, and they're not protests against the feds. They're protests against this crazy woman in Michigan who thinks she's the big mommy of every everybody, and she can tell everyone what to do. And if they protest, she's just going to get even worse. She's shutting down things at random. She just seems like a loon. I mean, she just, and again, I think she should show up with one of those Napoleon hats. And Trump talked about this. Uh, this is cut three. You know, some, some have gone too far. Some governors have gone too far. Some of the things that happened are uh, maybe not so appropriate. And I think in the end, it's not going to matter because we're starting to open up our states. And I think they're going to open up very well. We're going to be watching it. We're going to be watching it very closely. As far as uh, uh, protesters, you know, I see protesters for all sorts of things. And uh, uh, I'm with everybody. I'm with everybody. So he supports the protesters. He says in some places they've gone too far. He's telling them to go. The left is going nuts. Jay Inslee, the governor of Washington state, he went after him. This is uh, cut 20. To have a president of the United States basically encourage insubordination to encourage illegal activity. These orders actually are the law of these states. And again, these are not just Democrats. These are Republican-led states as well. To have an American president to encourage people to violate the law, 
I can't remember any time during my time in America where we have seen such a thing. And it is dangerous because it can inspire people to ignore things that actually can save their lives. And I don't know there's another way to, to characterize it. So let's think back. See, he can't remember this because the memory hole is very big on the left. He can't remember when the Occupy movement was all over the place and these guys were littering and spreading disease and raping women uh, everywhere. And Jake Tapper asked Barack Obama in 2011, I believe it was, what he thought of these protests. I understand the frustrations that are being expressed in those protests. Uh, In some ways, they're not that different uh, from some of the protests uh, that we saw uh, coming from the Tea Party, Uh, you know, both on the left and the right. I think people feel uh, separated from their government. See, now, this is why I keep bringing up Joe Biden, right? Joe Biden, sex charges against Joe Biden, completely buried by the press, right out of, you know, completely out of sight. They don't exist. The New York Times is making excuses. Sex charges against Brett Kavanaugh, conservative Supreme Court justice. Every woman who's ever been raped suddenly has an op-ed in the New York Times declaring that obviously this guy is guilty because of something that happened to me, right? We know that they, they had no double standard. They would have no standards at all. And those Occupy things were going on, those Occupy Wall Street things were going on during uh, Obama's Great Recession, the press was like, this is a protest that will define a generation. They actually said this. They actually said this. Now, in the New York Times, a former newspaper, Trump, head of government, leans into anti-government message. (laughs) As, As if government were a good and no government were, you know, the uh, the opposite. That's that's what they always do. They always pose this thing like, oh, yeah, there's government and then there's no government. No, there's good government and there's bad government. Obviously, we need a government. But <laughs> it's an insane, uh, you know, the way they frame the debate is always like, you know, if you don't believe women are men, then you hate women. You go, uh, huh? You know, if you don't believe that government can be, if you believe that government can go too far, then you don't believe in government. It's a complete nonsense. And this is the thing. We know now this because of the Biden case, which is just right in front of us. We know that they will lie, that everything they say is just a is created to advance a certain narrative. And that narrative is about the elites. See, this is the thing that is really getting to me. It was not always true in this country. It was not always true that the elites and the poor were daggers drawn. There's always tension between the upper classes and the lower classes. There's got to be. But in America, there used to be an idea that the lower classes could become the upper classes, and the upper classes had come from the lower class, so they had nothing to prove. They weren't sitting around going, you know, hey, you know, I, I, I was born with a silver spoon in my mouth, and I, I look down upon you because you are a nobody, because the guy next to him was also a nobody who made it big. That was always the American way. Something has gone terribly wrong on the left. The left has become an, a system of elites disdaining ordinary people and their d- desires and their drives. And we are seeing this in this moment when ordinary people are asking for the government, to, for the economy to open up again in phases, in stages, and the left hates them for it. It's amazing. All right. Let us talk about the Benham Brothers, too. Great guys. The Benham Brothers have really, uh, they, they were going to have a TV show. It was the left went after them for their conservative ideals and knocked their show off the air. But they have, they want to talk to you about how to get your business going, how to be a success without destroying your life. And this is a big deal. You know, I, I believe in success. I believe in striving. I believe in working hard. I've had a lot of good things happen in my life. 
but I've always tried to keep my life in order because my life matters to me more than somebody, you know, patting me on the head who I don't know, right? So what's the secret to building a business? The truth is that you can grow a business without sacrificing your family and your character. And the Benham brothers have over a dozen businesses, including a real estate empire that spans over 35 states, and they didn't sell their soul for it. I really, I really enjoy these guys. I talk to them, David and Jason, uh, and they are a proof that you can build businesses and keep your soul the Benham Brothers have now launched a new course, Expert Ownership. It's the model they've used to build each one of their businesses. Whether you're sick of the nine to five or have a 10-year-old business, Expert Ownership can help you achieve your goals. To celebrate the launch of their new course, they're offering 15% off to new members. You can check out a preview of the course and take advantage of that discount over at BenhamBrothers.com slash Clavin. That's B-E-N-H-A-M Brothers.com slash Clavin. Head over there to check out the course. And remember, there's an E in Benham. But there is no E in Clavin. I just make it look this easy. So I want I just want to show you some of the reactions to this, because, look, the idea that there can be no such thing as bad government is ridiculous. Of course, there is. Gretchen Whitmer has been an absolute pill in Michigan. She's been out of control. Let's let's play a clip of her threatening, basically, uh, people for protesting her. Do you have any regrets on any of the restrictions that you have put into place? I don't, and here's why. You know, Michigan right now has the third highest number of deaths from COVID-19, and yet we're the 10th largest state. We are, have a disproportionate problem in the state of Michigan, and so we could take the same kinds of actions other states have, but it doesn't rise to the challenge we're confronting, and that's precisely why we have to take a more aggressive stand. It's working. We are seeing the, the curve start to flatten. <laughs> that has nothing to do with the irrational banning of seeds and what and not letting people visit their next door neighbors or their family. It is absolutely absurd what she's doing. The people are against her because she has gotten out of hand. Here's another one. Bill de Blasio, Mr. Please go keep taking the subways, go to restaurants. Don't worry about it. Oh, wait, everybody's sick. It's Donald Trump's fault. That's my imitation of Bill de Blasio. I don't know if they have run out of tar and feathers in New York, but this guy should be floating in the Hudson. I, not that I want him to kill him, but a little tar and feathers and then tossing him into the Hudson, not such a bad idea. This is, I want you to play cut 22, telling people how they should behave during this extended lockdown that is so bad because he reacted so slowly. We still know there's some people who need to get the message. And that means sometimes making sure the enforcement is there to educate people and make clear we gotta have social distancing. So. Now it is easier than ever when you see a crowd, when you see a line that's not distanced, when you see a supermarket that's too crowded, anything, you can report it right away so we can get help there to fix the problem. And now it's as simple as taking a photo. All you gotta do is take the photo and put the location with it and bang, send a photo like this and we will make sure that enforcement comes right away. So my daughter saw him walking in the park 11 miles from his house with a thing on that was not covering his nose and said, I wish I had a camera. I'd have sent it to him. He wants you to report on your neighbors. Bill de Blasio, the mayor of New York, wants you to report on your neighbors if they're not obeying the law, obeying his. You know, the, the thing is, the thing is, the, the, the latest poll showed that about 40 percent of people are want this, the economy, are eager they're more afraid that the economy won't start than they are of the disease. 60% are more afraid of the disease. I think, I think there's, that's about, about right. We should be afraid of the disease. We should be careful. We should be cautious. It's not about that. I mean, Trump has been as careful and cautious as it is. What I'm talking about is 
the notion that this gives governments all the power in the world, the notion that it's somehow un-American for people to protest the government suddenly. Remember when protest, remember when dissent was patriotic? Under George W. Bush, dissent was patriotic. Then suddenly under Obama, dissent was racist. And now dissent is again, uh, when the dissent is approved of by Donald Trump, we, we thought the resistance was good. We thought the resistance was good. But now when Donald Trump says, yeah, go ahead, resist your government, it's whoa, whoa, whoa. We didn't even resist us. We didn't even resist us. Let me just play you just a clip of what the left is saying about people who want the government to open, the, the economy to open so they can get back uh, so they can get back to supporting their family. This is a guy named David Zirin. This is that MSNBC quote he played before we came on. He's the, sport, he's the sports editor of the nation, uh, the left wing, um, and he's on Joy Reid's show. Yeah. Let's be honest about what they are. They are the Fox News, Nazi Confederate, death cult rump of the Republican Party. And their very existence is a slap in the face, not only to the healthcare workers on the front lines risking their lives every single day, but it's also a slap into the face of the people who are actually dying from this virus in disproportionate numbers, black and brown people. These aren't economically disenfranchised folks. These are small business owners. These are retirees. These are people who want their workers to be sent back to work, not themselves. It's a complete and utter farce. It's an astroturf farce. And also, I think it needs to be said, it's also unrepresentative of the Republican Party as a whole. This is, that's an amazing, the Nazis, they're small business owners, they're those evil. When, when did we go from hating the big corporations, where you have a little bit of a, a point, but the big corporations are now all on the left. Google, Starbucks, Twitter, these are all on the left, NBC, uh, Comcast, those are all on the left. The big corporations are leftist. Why? Because, first of all, they're afraid of getting sued if they're not leftist. That's one big reason. And the other reason, of course, is because leftism helps big business and it hurts small business. So it, it gets rid of those nasty competitors who might invent something in their garage that will knock you off the face of the earth. This is why. So suddenly we hate small businesses. We hate the grocer. How did socialism, the working man's paradise, how did that suddenly disappear where we we're attacking the people who make the job, most of the jobs in this country so that there can be working people? Well, I'll tell you the answer. I will tell you the answer. When you take care of somebody, you have the power. When you take care of your children, you have the power. I'm sure your parents once said to you, this is my house. If you expect to live in my house, you have to follow my rules. When you take care of people, you're in charge. When your parents get old and you're taking care of them, then you have the power and then you're in charge. Socialism is government taking care of you. And they say, we've got to take care of you. We've got to take care of the people. We, you know, it's the life of Julia. We want her in every phase of her life to be taken care of. Remember, who has the power when you're being taken care of? It's the person taking care of you. What happens when you take care of yourself? Then you have your own opinions. You have your own way of doing things. You have your own way of looking at life. When you are taking care of yourself, when you're supporting yourself, when you have a job, when you have a small business, when you have something that gives you money, you don't need the government telling you what to think. You don't want the government telling you what to think. You're not dependent on the government. You're not doing what they're doing on Britain when they're celebrating the National Health Service, which is giving them 19th century health care. I'm not attacking the people in that system, by the way. They're great people. They're doctors. They're serving the, the public. But the system stinks. The system stinks. I lived over there for seven years. I'm telling you, it was 19th century health care. I had to call my doctor in America just to find out what the latest science was. <laughs> They want to take care of you. They disdain you. It is, it's just amazing. And they just 
think after after years of failure of the elites, after years of failure of the experts, they still think they should be in charge. And play another one. Do we have Jane Mayer of the New Yorker? I think it's like that's the first cut. This is the New Yorker, the a- absolute voice of the elites. Trump's rhetoric, which is often racist and and anger laced and um, anti elitist is the language that excites the sort of the the lower educated part of his base, those sort of the white male base particularly. Um, and so he's saying things that make his his supporters feel good. Come on now, dog. <laughs> Come on, man. You know, it never it never occurs to elites when the, the people who are not elites, when the people who are not elites say, you know, you guys stink. It never occurs to them to say, why? What do, what do we do? Is there something we could fix? It's always like, oh, those dumb white, they're white. That's the other thing, by the way. The race, the race stuff is a deflection. The race stuff is to deflect you from what they're doing. The race stuff is to uh, shore up their power, their elite status, their, you know, uh, expertise by calling you racist and saying all these people are white. They're not all white. That's ridiculous. And Trump supporters aren't all white. And it's not a white movement. It is a movement of ordinary people who feel the elites screwed up. They screwed up with 20-year-long wars. They screwed up with recessions that don't go anywhere, that don't uh, ever end because the government is sucking all the energy out of the room. You know, it is really possible. It is really possible. I keep saying that we don't know what what the effect of this is going to be, and it's true. Three months from now, three months from now, we are going to have a much better sense of what the government did here. And I, and again, I, I want to express some annoyance with the right. I mean, the right has been loudmouthed about things they don't know about. I, the reason I have trust in Donald Trump is not because I think he came down from heaven to save the nation. The reason I have uh, trust in Donald Trump is because his interests are aligned with mine. His interests are bringing back the economy and keeping people safe. If, if only, if only for his political fortunes to be good. His political fortunes will tank if too many people die. His political fortunes will tank if the econ- if we go into a depression. He is going between Charbettus and Scylla. He's kind of got to guide the country right down the middle. That's where I think we should be. Plus, he's getting the best information. So why shouldn't I trust him when he says it's time to start phasing in going back to work? I don't think that's wrong when he says, you know what, some of these governors have gone too far. He's not saying all of them. He's saying some of them have gone too far. How can that possibly not be true? We know that some of these governors are clowns. We know that Bill de Blasio is a clown. At this point, anybody who voted for Bill de Blasio should be walked. You know, you know, they want you to wear a mask. If, if you voted for Bill de Blasio, you should be wearing a mask over your whole face because you should be ashamed to show your face in public. OK, that's the kind of mask. That's a Bill de Blasio mask. It goes right down from the top down to your chin. So we know this is true. We know it's true. We know Trump is right about this. We know he's been right about China. And it's just like he's their dad. Every time he says black, they have to say white. Every time he says up, they have to say down. It was childish, a childish elite class. All right, let us pause for just a moment to talk about sleep. Now, some of you I've heard actually go to sleep at night. I, <laughs> you know, you're wasting time. But what do you, what can I say? I lie awake at night reading and thinking, but I want to be comfortable. And that's why I have a Helix mattress. Helix Sleep has a quiz. It takes you just two minutes to complete, matches your body type and sleep preference to the perfect mattress for you. And whether you sleep on your side or you like a plush or a firm bed with Helix, there's no more confusion, no more compromising. Helix Sleep is rated the number one mattress by GQ and Wired and CNN, called it the most comfortable mattress they've ever slept on. Just go to helixsleep.com slash Clavin, take the two-minute sleep quiz, and they will match you to a customized mattress that will give you 
the best sleep of your life. They have a 10-year warranty. They're made in America. And you try and you get to try it out for 100 nights risk-free. They will even pick it up for you for free if you don't love it. But you will. Right now, Helix is offering up to 200 bucks off all mattress orders at helixsleep.com slash Clavin. Get up to $200 off at helixsleep.com slash Clavin. You can lie awake at night and say to yourself, how do you spell Clavin? That's just what I was going to say. It's, it's amazing. It's K-L-A-V-A-N. There are no easy <laughs> Also, you know, I have to tell you something about the Leftist Tears Tumblr. This is absolutely true. I come into my attic here to do the show. About 8.30, I've prepared, and I come up with a uh, Leftist Tears tumbler full of throat coat tea. Right after I do the show, I go into my writer's room, and I carry my tumbler with me. I'm there till about 3.30. So I'm there from 8.30 to 3.30. What is that, guys? It's like seven hours? Is that what it is? This keeps my tea hot the entire time. It, my tea is hot the entire time. That's why you don't just need one leftist tear tumbler. You need two leftist tears tumblers. Because, and we will give you two leftist tears tumblers if, if you become a Daily Wire Insider Plus or an all-access member. We will send you two leftist tears tumblers just to get you started. Both tumblers may not get to you at the same time, but you'll definitely get two of them for the price of one. And you know when you've got a membership, you get all kinds of good things. You get an ad-free website, which is great. All three hours of Ben's show. Uh, you get exclusive election insights, op-eds from Ben, and Daily Wire members also get us to ask us questions during Backstage, which is Wednesday. Wednesday evening, we're not sure exactly what hour, but Wednesday evening, we will have a Backstage to celebrate Earth Day. I will be celebrating, I will be bringing Earth with me uh, to the backstage on Wednesday, so you will get to ask questions if you're a subscriber, and you'll get to drink out of two Leftist Tears tumblers at once. So, become an Insider Plus or All Access member and double your tears with two Leftist Tears tumblers. Go to dailywire.com slash subscribe to get started and get 10% off with coupon code CLAVEN. That's dailywire.com slash subscribe, coupon code CLAVEN, and get the rarest of all beverage vessels times two. But you have to know, you just have to know how to spell Clavin. There are no <laughs> you know, you can't save the Clavin unless you know how to spell Clavin. Come on over to dailywire.com and subscribe. So Nancy Pelosi was on the Late Late Show with James Cordon. And James Cordon said, what are you doing to get through, um, you know, quarantine? And here's Pelosi's response. This is something you can get through the mail. Okay. Run out. Now show me. Yeah, absolutely. This is the episode of Cribs. I never knew I needed. Oh, my. Wow. Other people in our family go for some other flavors, but chocolate, and then we have some other chocolate here. (laughs) I've always felt a connection with you, and now I understand why. Let them eat cake. (laughs) <laughs> There's a connection. It's the connection is you're both supercilious elites who have forgotten the people you're supposed to be serving, both of you, both Hollywood. I mean, she opens up that refrigerator. That refrigerator must cost, somebody said it cost $25,000, which is entirely possible. That thing was an industrial strength of refrigerator. She opens it up and it's that dove ice cream. You know, it's ice cream that is really elite and expensive. It's like they have no sense. They have no sense that their lives are not like everybody's lives. I'm not saying they got to pretend. I'm just saying a little bit of respect, a little bit of sense that that this is not, that not everybody is sitting at home with their $20,000 refrigerator 
eating $20,000 ice cream. And the problem is, the problem is this connection that we've talked about a million times between the Democrats and the, the entertainment industry and the entire communications industry has made it so they do not know. They don't know what they don't know. They don't know that that's offensive. It is offensive. I mean, look, I, I'm not offended. I'm not going to say, oh, I'm shocked and outraged or anything like that. But it's disgusting. You know, I mean, it's just, it is a true let them eat ice cream, let them eat cake moment. Except it's let them eat dust because people have nothing, you know, <laughs> have nothing. So, you know, you see this again. You know, Christian Toto wrote a, a good piece about this. I think it's on our site. It's on the Daily Wire. And, you know, he's talking about the fact that all of these people, all of these guys, I mean, Stephen Colbert makes 15, made $15 million a year. I hear he's gotten a raise. He made $15 a year, and he's making fun of the people who are protesting. Do we have that clip, the, the Colbert clip? Some of the states can actually open up before the deadline of May 1st. Wow, May 1st is two weeks away. It's going to take me that long to find my pants. Pro-Trump protesters in Ohio demanded the governor reopen businesses, demonstrating right outside the statehouse windows. Well, I'm sure that convinced the legislators. You know, the medical data doesn't back up an early reopen, but I, I did hear some sound policy ideas from lady flag screamer and guy in a purge mask. Protesters carried Trump flags, MAGA signs, even Confederate flags because nothing says never surrender like a Confederate flag. The protesters were focused on protecting the things that are most precious, hair and lawns. Sir, you don't need to buy lawn fertilizer anymore. You can make that at home. There's a toilet paper shortage. Just put two and number two together. What a putz. <laughs> but, you know, my, my father was an entertainer. My father was a comedian. He had a very, very successful uh, radio show in New York. And this was kind of before radio went national. So that was the, the big market. He was the big guy. And he was a comedian. And my father was nice to everybody. I used to walk down the street. We called him the mayor of 34th Street. You would walk down the street with him and people would lean out of windows and wave to them. And nice to everybody but me. But still, you know, people would lean out of windows and wave at him. They knew his name in every restaurant on the, on the block in New York. I mean, people just loved him. And I asked him once, I said to him, how come you're so nice to everybody? How come you're so nice to all the people? And he said, that's not the people. That's the audience. <laughs> in other words, he served them. He served them. He was nice to them because he knew what the ordinary people were thinking. He made sure he knew. He made sure when he got in back of a microphone that he knew the people that he was talking to. Who is this clown talking to? Who is Stephen Colbert talking to? What does he think of his audience? You just heard, oh, they're hairy guys. They don't know, you know, they're wearing flags. They just want their businesses open. I, I, it's going to take me that long to find my pants because I've got 500 pairs of them. You know, I mean, it's unbelievable that this is what Hollywood has become. Some of these guys are starting to think about this. Some of these guys are starting to think about, you know, when you go out and you insult half the country, maybe half the country won't show up for your stupid movie. But these comedians, they don't care. See, they don't care because they're working for places where they don't care. And they've said, you know, I, I can't remember. It was, uh, it was Kimmel, I think, who said, well, I'm not going to say good riddance to that part of the audience, but riddance. You know, I mean, it's like, screw you. And this is what's going on. And there was a really telling moment between, you know, this was unfairly reported. I've always showed some respect for Bill Maher. Totally disagree with a lot of his points of view. But always showed some respect for him because he's not politically correct and because he does let people talk. So he's not in his studio and he interviewed uh, uh, Crenshaw. And uh, let me just uh, let me make sure we get the right clip of this. 
he inter- interviewed Congressman Crenshaw and he was kind of hitting him with all the things that Trump said when he said, it's not that serious. It's going to be fine. It's going to go away. And Crenshaw just pre- corrected the timeline. So this is that first clip uh, seven. Dr. Nancy Messonnier, who's uh, in charge of the Center for Immunization so, and Res- Respiratory Diseases. Wait a second. Let me just finish. She announced this on the 26th. Uh, he uh, on the 25th that we we're going to have to lock down the country. He said the next day 15 people have it and it's soon going to be close to zero. March 6th, he said anyone who wants a test can get it, which is still completely okay, let me stick to February completely wrong. Go forward because uh, you mentioned I, February 25th. The day before February 24th, that's when the administration requested two and a half billion dollars from Congress to fulfill um, you know, CDC, NIH, uh, and FDA funding to combat the virus and, and the potential spread of it. What happened right then? I'll tell you because I was in Congress and I know what happened. Did we vote on a supplemental funding bill? No. Did we wait days to vote? No, still didn't vote on it. You know what we voted on later that week? Nancy Pelosi, the only thing she would put on the floor to vote on was a bill to ban flavored tobacco. So, so everyone went on Twitter and said, oh, Dan Crenshaw slaughters Bill Maher. And I didn't think that was what happened. I thought it was a little bit. I mean, obviously, it's Twitter. Who cares what you know, that's that's what people say. But I don't think that's what happened. I think Bill Maher was asking fair questions. He was asking things about, you know, Trump says dopey things and he was overly optimistic and all this stuff. Fine. And obviously, when you compare it to what everybody else was saying, uh, it was not there was nothing different. There was nobody going around the 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 outlier as Tom Cotton, who was right about things, you can hold them up now, but of course you can't always know what's going on. And if, if people had closed the government to, if cl- people had closed the economy too soon, everybody would have gone nuts. And we all remember, we all remember when Donald Trump banned uh, flights in from China, Joe Biden said, this is a terrible thing. Nancy Pelosi tried to pass a law against it. She tried to pass a law that she couldn't ban travel. I think Bill Maher asked fair questions for an anti-Trump left winger, right? I think that that's his, that's part of what he is. He's an anti-Trump, basically a left winger. He asked fair questions and Crenshaw answered them and he let him answer them. And Crenshaw's points were better. OK, that's not destroying him. That's not murdering him. That's not wrecking him. That's simply making better points than the guy who asked you the question. OK, what was missing here? What was missing here was the applause. What was missing is the apparatus to elevate Bill Maher to a place where he's essentially unassailable, where his opinion is all that matters. When you have that applause machine that uh, Colbert has, that all of these guys have, it completely erases any chance that somebody can come in and do what Crenshaw just did. It was the apparatus that was missing. It was not that Bill Maher was being a bad guy. I I, I just don't think he was. I mean, look, again, he was taking a point of view that I really disdain and don't like, but different people see the world different ways. We got to have that country. If we don't have that country, we're not a free country. That's fine. But it is this apparatus of applause and wealth and adulation that has cut these people off from other voices. And that can't be, that can't continue. Stephen Colbert is bad for America. It's bad for America that every comedian has the same point of view and never has to step out of that apparatus of applause and adulation that keeps him within his little bubble. That's not a good thing. It is not a good thing for America. And it's partly a product of globalization because some of these movie guys know that their movie will make uh, money in anti-American France so they can tell Americans, their fellow Americans, to go to hell because they'll still make the money back in over, overseas uh, box office. That it's, it's a problem. It is a serious, serious problem. You know, Trump was talking about the fact that 
the supply chains have been interrupted, that the supply chains have been revealed to be a true problem during an emergency. And he said, the problem is globalization. Who thought of this? It's the globalists. They were wrong. It doesn't work. That's true. Like what he said about China, that's true. Like what he said about borders, that's true. But like what he says about globalization, it is true. And if only people had to listen and not just have this, and if every time they had this kind of uh, reflex action of just attacking Trump, they were mocked, there was somebody there to argue with them like Crenshaw did, we would be living in a different place and it would be a better place. All right. I want to have a final reflection. You know, every uh, weekend we've been trying to watch classic movies this weekend, we took uh, some time off and decided to watch a modern movie. We found The Way Back, uh, which is a uh, Gavin O'Connor-directed um, movie with Ben Affleck. And it is a, kind of a typical sports redemption story about a guy who is a drunk, and we don't really know why he's a drunk, and they that is part of the story. And he gets a chance. He was a formerly great high school basketball player, and he gets a chance to coach a terrible team at the high school where he was a coach. And it is, how can I put this? It's a good movie. It was an entertaining movie. It's beat for beat every sports movie you've ever seen until a point when I'll talk about in a minute. The performance from Ben Affleck is unbelievable. And Gavin O'Connor, by the way, he made Miracle. He made Warrior. He made The Accountant. He is not like just a steady left winger. He is a guy who has a feel for ordinary people. He's a guy, Miracle is a wonderful pro-American movie about what happened during the Carter years and about the wonderful uh, uh, victory of the U.S. team against the Russians in the hockey Olympics. He's got a real touch. And there's something about this movie that does resonate. But Ben Affleck, it is worth watching for his performance. It is a great great minimalist performance that conveys incredible pain, but also decency, which is really hard to do. You know, most guys who play drunks are so into playing the drunkenness of it that they forget to play the inner man. Affleck plays this guy that you know should be rescued. You know he needs to be saved. I also, I got to stop, but I also just want to say the last 10 minutes of this film are great. The last scene is great. The fact that they don't let the metaphor of sports redemption become the reality of sports redemption is a genuine innovation. It's genuinely different. What the movie says is that sports is a metaphor for uh, for redemption, but it's not redemption itself. You've still got to find that. And it shows that. And it's a beautiful movie. It's got a kind of subtle message about God that I think is positive, but you have to read it into it. And, the, and it's, it's really, if, if you like sports movies, and I do, it's worth watching just for Affleck's performance, which is spectacular. I'm going to stop there. We will be back again tomorrow talking more about reopening the country. We are in the process, whether governors, the governor of Michigan likes it or not, it's happening. I'm Andrew Claven. This is The Andrew Claven Show. Hey, if you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, give us a five-star review and also tell your friends to subscribe too. We're available on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, The Matt Wall Show, and The Michael Knowles Show. Thanks for listening. The Andrew Clavin Show is produced by Robert Sterling and directed by Mike Joyner. Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Technical producer, Austin Stevens. And our supervising producer is Mathis Glover. Assistant director, Pavel Wydowski. Edited by Adam Saievitz. Audio mixed by Robin Fenderson. Hair and makeup is by Jessua Alvera. Animations are by Cynthia Angulo. Production assistants, McKenna Waters and Ryan Love. The Andrew Claven Show is a Daily Wire production. 
Copyright Daily Wire 2020. If you prefer facts over feelings, aren't offended by the brutal truth, and you can still laugh at the insanity filling our national news cycle, well, tune in to The Ben Shapiro Show. We'll get a whole lot of that and much more. See you there.